get to be I get to be John today. So thanks for <laughs> thanks for being here, everyone. Yeah, so welcome. Uh, I've been asked to to preach today, so thanks for uh, thanks for sitting through this. <laughs> yeah, so uh, as we just read in our epistle, we're in the book of Hebrews right now. Hebrews is a very interesting book, and if I had more time, I could nerd out about uh, its interesting history. But uh, but what I want to focus on today are a few things. So there's a theme that runs through Hebrews pretty consistently, which we actually heard in our reading, which is this idea of Jesus as high priest and as king. And I don't know that we really have culturally much much to resonate with around that. Uh, when, when we get excited about monarchy, it's usually the British monarchy and because it's in the tabloids and they're getting married, you know, uh, it tends to be a little bit more uh, social media centric than, than having real cultural relevance for us. But the high priest all throughout high, Hebrew uh, scripture was very, very important, right? It was starting with Aaron all the way in the book of Exodus and moving uh, in, in a line up until that present age with the religious leaders in Israel. And then, of course, uh, to say that someone was a king was also drawing on this immensely powerful history where you have, you know, King David and Solomon and you have these these epics that are told about the kings. And for the people of Jesus's day, they were they had a king. His name was Herod the Great, but he wasn't actually really that great. He was very paranoid and he was really essentially just a puppet for the Roman Empire. So uh, I could imagine that for the Jewish people, there was this sense that the real king was out there somewhere, maybe, or was going to come back, that the Messiah was going to come back. But there's actually uh, an even more striking idea that's expressed in our Hebrews uh, verse today, which is this idea that Jesus is actually more worthy of honor than Moses. And I would imagine that that probably was the real theological whammy about that verse for the Jewish people. And here's why. So Moses was held in the highest praise and esteem for the Jewish people. He led the people of Israel. He, he guided them in the desert. He was their prophet. He was a conduit uh, through God. He brought them the law. He brought them the Ten Commandments. And he performed various and sort of singular miracles. And much of the religious identity that Jewish people had was because of Moses. In fact, uh, in Hebrew, the term for Moses or the phrase that's used for Moses is Moshe Rabbanu, which means Moses, our teacher. That's a, pre- that's, a, that's a pretty epic title. I wish that someone would say that about me, actually. Um, so, you know, it wasn't just this, like, he's a teacher, he's our teacher. It was like this collective identity. Like, this is the guy that teaches us, the people of Israel. And I tried to think of an analogy to give us some sort of, uh, uh, something to get our hooks into, but, and I couldn't really find a great one, but you're going to just have to deal with the one that I put together uh, this last week, which is, which is this. So I want you to imagine that... Um, you take the greatest soccer player who has ever lived and you stand in front of a stadium full of hardcore soccer fans, some of whom may even have tattoos of this hypothetical player or maybe posters of this, this player in their room. And then I, then, then I want you to claim that there's actually this other player that's even better and they play even better than, the, than, than this, this legend. And, and in fact, the playing that they've done is so revolutionary that it supersedes all the amazing plays and things that the, the other, this legendary player has done. And... I think outside of a large group of soccer hooligans waiting for you in the parking lot, you'd probably also have people just, like, that's the stupidest idea ever. You'd probably have people who would be incensed or, or just claim that as ignorance. And it's not the best analogy, but hopefully it captures this idea that Moses was seen as sort of the pinnacle of something that was deeply impactful and deeply important for the Jewish people. 
And in that same way, the religious code and the set of values that Jewish people were living by were set by Moses. He brought them the law. And so to suggest that someone else was greater than Moses was also kind of like saying, well, there's probably another way then that we have to live our lives to be right with God. But I would actually argue that our culture does have high priests and kings. We actually, we give a lot of uh, value to certain cultural figures. And I want to be clear before I launch into my diatribe that uh, being a proverbial Moses is actually not a, is not a bad thing. I don't think that that's bad. There are people in our culture who are really great leaders and thinkers and voices that I think it's important for us to, to be paying attention to and to, they're worthy of note. Um, you know, we, we invoke uh, great names all the time. And I think in, for good reasons, um, here are some low-hanging fruit that, that I hear constantly brought up. You have Martin Luther King Jr., you know, this man, he deserves the praise and attention that he gets because he was a pivotal figure in, in the fight for quality in America. Another easy one is Mahatma Gandhi. Um, you know, he has probably spawned an infinite amount of fridge magnets and t-shirts with his quotes. Like, he's, he's just kind of everywhere. And then in our context, as, as sort of Reformed or Protestant tradition, there's another Luther. There's Martin Luther, who, you know, because of, because of, because of Martin Luther, uh, the last, you know, 500 years were set in a really different direction for Christians that we would be able to engage with Scripture and read the Bible in our own language, which at the time, as some of us might know, was just not a thing that was, that was happening. So there are people that, as, as far as they can be, are really held up in our culture as ideological voices even, or beacons for, for how we're kind of supposed to live our lives, or, or the people that are really getting it and nailing it, and then we should follow their example. And in all the good ways, I actually, I actually applaud that. I think that's, that's a good thing. I think it's important that we, we have people that can inspire us. If, if Gandhi is going to inspire someone to nonviolent action, that is an awesome thing. And if uh, Martin Luther King Jr. can speak wisdom into what we're doing now in this present age, and it can inspire someone to think about making changes in society, that is, that is also a beautiful thing. And if Martin Luther can inspire someone to read their Bible and be engaged in Scripture, that is also an amazing thing. But I want to point out something about these, these three great figures. Martin Luther King, unfortunately, was, was later, after some time, revealed to actually have been an habitual adulterer. And he had many affairs and cheated on his wife. And Gandhi, actually, sadly, was not totally the progressive person that we went imagine him to be. Um, early on in, in, his, in his career as a lawyer... Uh, some writings have shown that he kind of had a racist tendency, actually, towards Native African people when he was in South Africa. Uh, he also kind of really did nothing to change or address or challenge the caste system in India. And actually, a lot of his contemporaries challenged him on that idea, uh, that he was, he was trying to free the Indian people, but he was not really interested in changing the caste system or freeing the untouchable caste. And Martin Luther, for, for all his zeal in God, actually... Uh, especially towards the end of his life, he was, he was deeply anti-Semitic. He actually encouraged people to commit acts of violence against Jewish people. So I only say that to point out that at the end of the day, these sort of historical Moses figures were, were also deeply flawed people too. They were not perfect. <laughs> there was nothing perfect about them. They were not without sin and they were not without some levels in some cases of hypocrisy. And for us, I imagine some, some disappointment. So to touch on our gospel reading, we can kind of ask the question, like, are we doomed here? Is there anyone that can, can save us, right? Like, who do we turn to in that case? And, and we're not at all doomed, actually, right? Like, we, you know, the claim of our faith is this, that Jesus of Nazareth is the foretold Messiah. 
who came to us as God in human form to make us right with the Father, that he was sinless, and, and he is the exemplar for our lives. We're to follow in Christ's footsteps. He's the only one righteous enough to stand before the throne of God. And because of our inheritance through his blood, we are able to stand before God, but solely because of Christ. And nothing we can do or say, there's no structures or systems, there's no empires or ideologies that we can formulate to save ourselves. Except for the power and the sacrifice that Christ has on the cross. That is the only thing that can save us. And we claim this, and we believe this, and we sing about it, and we read about it. We say it in our creeds, and we engage in this idea every Sunday, more or less. But I, I want to say that we as American Christians are not actually quite in the clear because the reality is that within our own culture, there are so many self-professed messiahs and gurus and saviors, and uh, I'm not sure what the plural of Moses is, maybe Mosai, uh, that there are in fact whole industries, whole industries devoted to that type of personality and even some industries devoted to persons. And short of you know, some sort of extreme North Korean style cult of, you know, absolute cult control and power. There, there are celebrities or personalities in our culture today who in all but overt speech make claims on how they have all the answers or they have it all figured out, how they are the model for how you can be. You can be happy, you can be whole, you can be centered, you can be right, you can be good, you can be complete. And within the Silicon Valley, there's a veritable cornucopia of demigods that we can pick from <laughs> who want to take us to Mars or wherever. And also not, not, just, not just in culture, but within the church as well. Um, there's so many branded pastors and ministries that have their own flavor or, or sort of program for how you can really do it. And again, that in and of itself is not a bad thing, but... Um, I wouldn't, I would be remiss if I also didn't mention that like, you know, one of the most popular podcasts today is a podcast that Christianity Today is doing about Mars Hill Church. And it's a journalistic exploration into its former pastor, who's Mark Driscoll. And it is an extreme example of a Moses figure gone awry, but it highlights all the ways that the mission of Jesus and the followers of Jesus can be co-opted or, or subverted uh, by a culture that needs or promotes this modern day sort of Moses character to lead them to the promised land. And I think for, you know, a first century Jewish person, it would have been normal to, to have a struggle with this idea that Jesus comes actually above Moses. So my challenge for us today in 2021 is just to take a second and actually ask this question. Who is the Moses in our lives that we might be putting before Christ? And maybe we need to ask God to show us this Moses figure. And an image that, uh, that I would ask us to all take with us in the week is this idea. It's the frog in the boiling pot of water. And so for those of you that don't know the parable, I, I uh, got a little lazy and just decided to see what Wikipedia said. Um, and I wouldn't normally ever do that, but I actually felt like it was a really good and succinct sort of description for this. So here's what Wikipedia says about the boiling frog, which by the way is not true. I went and also read that that's, frogs will hop out of a pot of hot water. So, but the boiling frog is a fable describing a frog being slowly boiled alive. The premise is that if a frog is put suddenly into boiling water, it will jump out. But if the frog is put in tepid water, which is then brought to a boil slowly, it will not perceive the danger and will be cooked to death. The story is often used as a metaphor for the inability or unwillingness of people to react to or be aware of sinister threats that arise gradually rather than suddenly. 
So we are steeped in the culture that we live in, where we're surrounded by ideas constantly. And there's actually an Old Testament scholar, his name is uh, John Walton, who I've come to really appreciate his writing. He, has a lot of, he does a lot of study around uh, the, the Israelites within a certain cultural context. And he uses this idea of the cultural river to illustrate a point. And he explains that throughout scripture, the people of Israel were always within some sort of cultural flow or current, and that they might find themselves just as a people group in various positions or postures within that river. And maybe they're standing on the shore sometimes. Maybe they're in the middle of the river. Maybe they are pushing upstream. And in many, <laughs> in many cases, sadly, they were definitely letting the river wash them away. And in that same way, we are also, we are also in a river and maybe possibly a pot of water. And sometimes that heat can slowly get turned up on certain ideas. And usually those ideas are advocated for or perpetuated by a person, a brand, an idea, a figurehead, or a celebrity. And so we can't underestimate, I think, the, the, the influence of that and the power of that. Because more often than not, they can get people to go along with an idea or a movement. And that might be actually a slow heat. It wouldn't just be a flash in the pan idea. And maybe at first the warmth that this person brings feels good, but before we realize it, we may actually be getting boiled without realizing it. Um, I recently saw a documentary. My, I, I came home and my wife was watching it. It was about people who believe in the flat earth theory, which um, I'm trying not to be judgmental, but I really hope no one here believes in this theory, <laughs> which, just, which just throws out you know a couple hundred years of science and says, oh, actually the world is flat. And there's people that really believe this. And the documentary explores, like, how does someone come to believe something that most people would say is completely untrue? And they actually found that it was a slow process. It did not happen overnight. It happened through gradual watching of YouTube videos and gradual points of connection and making friends within the community until eventually they really believed in the idea. So I want to be clear that in no way I'm trying to fearmonger or create sort of an us versus them mindset or narrative here, but I am emphasizing just the very real danger that this type of situation can bring to our spiritual lives and our souls. Um, there are people that sometimes if we put them in front of Christ, they can lead us into a boiling pot of water or, it, or somewhere else. And having a Moses can actually be a really great thing. I, mean, I think we, and we like leaders, we like people who are strong leaders and have strong voices, but we have to ask if a particular Moses might be turning up the heat on the stove. And then to make this strange analogy a little more convoluted, should we even stand in the pot to begin with? And I could tell you many stories um, just from my own life about people that I've met who I looked up to and got the chance to meet. And, or come to find information about them later. And either meeting them in person or finding the information out later kind of left me reeling a little bit. They say, you know, not to meet your heroes. And I think that can be true. But even more so in this day and age, it's like, don't read news about your heroes. Don't, don't, even, don't even type their name into Google, you know, if you still want to listen to their music or their stand-up comedy. Um, and there's been a lot of disappointment lately around all kinds of people, whether that's politicians or, or celebrities or people who are within culture intellectuals. If we blindly place um, our trust in others before the supremacy of Christ, then we do run the risk of being sent into a tailspin or, 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 di or disappointed at the very least. 
But I do want to reorient us at this point back to the most important compass point, which is back to Christ. The grace and the beauty of this issue is that we don't have to go far at all to find the one person who can fulfill us, the one person who can save us, the one person who can complete us, and that is found in Christ. I don't know if you sense this sometimes, but often I have the experience that Christ is often right there in plain sight, and and I will often pour myself so much into other people or other things or other systems of thought that will complete me or that will help me to get my life centered, that I completely ignore this, this, this open hand, the open hand of the Messiah that's right in front of me. So what we have today is another really cosmically beautiful chance to participate in the body of Christ through the mystery of sacraments and of Holy Communion. We get to connect with and remember and partake in the life that comes with Christ. So as we press out into this week, um, I would just encourage us to really think about like, who could we be good people even? Who could we be putting in front of Jesus? Who could we be following that maybe we put a little bit too much of ourselves into? It could be, it truly could be anybody. But we do have a high priest and we have a king that's made us right with God. And only he can rule righteously and judge righteously and guide us righteously and loves us dearly. Amen.